Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. Uh, we're going to start the program off today with uh, my longtime friend, former anti-apartheid activist, <laughs> uh, activist extraordinaire in Washington State and really across the country these days, Randy Carter, who is with the Progressive Education Network, and also his uh, comrade in the struggle, uh, Jamie Dannon, who is a national board member of Progressive Education Network. So, uh, Randy, she, uh, we talked and said, if you're going to be late, we we're going to have her start. But she says, no, that makes me nervous. Let Randy start. So, Randy Carter, everybody in Seattle knows you, knows the legacy of your family, the building on 23rd, and yes, they're still named for your dad. Yes, sir. So, uh, long time Seattle, been gone for a little while. So, share a little bit about your background, and then let's get right into the Progressive Education Network, because that's why a lot of people, educators, are listening. First of all, Eddie, thank you for having Jamie and me on your show today. Um, great to be with you, and thank you for the work that you've continued to do over the decades. Um, yes, I grew up in Seattle. Family is well known. First AME Church, you know, really uh, in the community. My father was the first director of the Anti-Bias Board for the state of Washington and did some great work. And we hope our work is continuing his legacy. Um, in the years that I've been gone, uh, certainly have worked around the country, different areas, um, did all my graduate work and everything out of the area. But really back here in the Northwest, I'm in Portland now to continue the work uh, that we've started over the years. And the Progressive Educators Network will be holding its annual conference here in Seattle in October. And I'm really glad that Jamie is with us here to give us a little history about Penn as it's known but also the, the programs that we hope to have, Eddie, will invite um, activists, what we call disruptors, people who have brought change to the area, such as yourself and others, um, and really have a, a conversation about where we're going as a community and as a country, uh, and then take that back to schools, community-based organizations. So we hope to have a great turnout at Penn and look forward to some great sessions. We're going to work out into the community as well. And I'm going to ask Jamie to talk a little bit about the history of Penn, but we're going to work with Daybreak Star, with the African American Museum. We're going to work with um, different entities around the Northwest that have continued to promote change. And so that should be an exciting part of our, our work. But maybe Jamie can give us some background around Penn's history and where she sees our conference going. Absolutely. Thank you. I, I feel like I'm kind of in the presence of giants here. So um, I appreciate this opportunity, Eddie. And, and as always, Randolph, I'm, I'm excited to work with you. Um, the history of Penn really started back in the early 1900s um, through the progressive education movement um, and different philosophers um, started it. And then it really saw a resurgence, um, you know, back in the early 2000s. Um, and it was really one of the first national conferences. And we've had national conferences then since then, um, every other year, minus last year because of COVID, um, but every other year um, in different places throughout the country in order to have this opportunity for educators to come together, um, like-minded educators from both um, private, charter, public schools, discussing kind of this idea of progressive education and what it looks like in our different environs um, all throughout the country. And this year, I'm really excited about having it in Seattle. Um, the timeliness of it being there is just, it's amazing. I'm so excited. I know, Randolph, you have really worked hard to get a lot of people 
coming to the conference who will really highlight that idea of what it means to bring social justice into our education sphere and really highlight the importance and necessity of it now, um, especially in this post-COVID um, time. And that it's really, I think we're right for change in education. And that's what really Penn is there for, is to support that in educators throughout the country. How does Penn accomplish that goal? Do you go in and work with school districts and administrators and teachers? How do you accomplish that goal? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, but we, we don't necessarily always get to go in, but we have people who are in schools throughout the country. And it's really a clearinghouse for ideas, philosophies, and support of those ideas um, in those schools. We do have a network of over 3,000 teachers and educators throughout the country. And then about, I want to say 200, 250 partner schools that partner. Um, we work together, we collaborate on different projects, we have different um, activities and opportunities throughout the year. Um, in the upcoming year, we have NIPEN, which is the National Institute of Penn, where we bring um, educators from all over the country together twice during the year. We have two online opportunities that will be happening this year, New Penn to invite new educators into the Penn um, fold and then talk about, discuss, bring um, speakers in for that. And then um, we're also doing an online activity um, speaker series until our new um, conference in Seattle. So we do a lot of opportunities for education, professional development, um, and collaboration through all the teachers who are part of Penn. So uh, you accomplish your mission by, through conferences, you do have people uh, in school districts on a regular basis, where you go in and educate the folks and move on to the next city. Correct. We don't, we don't have like a traveling group of people who do PD. Um, we're kind of a very, very small group of people who run it, um, but we do do it through conferences, education, and then professional development that we bring people to um, our own things. I want to ask Randolph Carter, where is a, a national office for Penn and what are you doing now in Portland, Oregon? Well, I'll let, uh, again, uh, Jamie talk a little bit about the national office, but here in Portland, we are, we're looking at not only at Portland, but nationwide. When we have a governor that says you can't say gay or you will be fined as an educator, it's a real problem. I'm not saying we have that in Oregon, but if it's in the country anywhere, it's a problem. And I think we need to be really conscious that many of the things we fought for may be slipping away, voting rights, uh, all kinds of things. So, and we hope to do that by having these straightforward conversations with our children, with their parents, with our community about how we preserve our rights and the things that we have fought hard for and the many things that we still need to advance. Um, we do this in a curriculum. We do it in the way that we teach. We do it in recognizing children's difference and affirm that. We do that by recognizing um, change and how we have to work hard for change. So, yes, we're doing that here in Portland, but we're also and we're doing it in partnership with organizations like Penn across okay. the Now, I want to ask uh, uh, the, the last few minutes of the program, uh, what uh, when will the conference be? How can people access information about Penn? Uh, you, could you give them a website address? Yeah. Uh, the conference will be in October, October 7, 8, and 9. Um, 
people can reach our local um, kind of pen by by writing c pen uh, c pen melissa at gmail dot com. Um, that's s e a p e n m e l i s s a at gmail dot com. That will connect you with our local coordinator. Um, we are going to be a number doing a number of things. We have Jesse Hagopian will be one of our keynote speakers. Uh, we will have folks like yourself on a panel. Uh, so there, it's actually in many ways, Eddie, bigger than the Penn Conference. It's a chance to bring all these resources together and really have conversations about where change needs to happen. Um, is there a is there a location for the conference as of yet? Yeah, the conference is going to be at the Northwest. Uh, is it Northwest School? Is that right, um, Jamie? Um, we will also be at the um, will be at various places, but that's going to be our main place. We're also going to be at the convention center for part of the time, uh, but we're going out in the community, so we're not just in a room, but we actually want people out experiencing the greater Seattle community. And prayerfully, that's the next uh, virus that's hitting China will not be here during that's that cool. time or anytime soon. Uh, Jamie, I want to ask you, uh, there anything that we left out, anything like you'd like to add the last yeah. couple of minutes of the program? You know, I think really hit on it. I think one of the, as somebody who's gone to a lot of conferences, the really, the, the gem of Penn is that we have this opportunity to be in the communities in which we have the conference. So we have field trips and things planned for educators that participate in it. And that's really something, it's not just sitting and getting, um, you know, like you sit in a conference, Day. So that's really great. And we're all actually in our call for, for proposals right now. So educators who are out there interested, they can go to the Progressive Education Network um, website and see the call for proposals there and submit a proposal to present at the conference. Okay, let's have the website one more time, Jamie. It's progressiveeducationnetwork.org. Progressiveeducationnetwork.org. And uh, you, see, yes. you mentioned earlier before we went on the air that this uh, pen has been around for quite a while and it's yeah. been reinvigorated. Yes, exactly. There was kind of a renaissance um, in the early 2000s, um, but it was really started back in the early 1900s, 1919. Called something a little different, but with a lot of different philosophers during that time and educators coming together around the same philosophy, these same philosophies. And, and I want to ask Randolph Carter. Uh, what segment of the community do you want to attract to the conference? Just educators or just... No, I, I want the community to come, Eddie. I want people from all different areas, but folks who want to work for change to come and be inspired and also to share. So we really want to make this a community event um, and breathe new life into places like, like I mentioned, Daybreak Star and others who have been doing the work for so long. And I might add, I was there at Fort Lawton. They <laughs> occupied that space. Right there. <laughs> yeah, you well, were you too. Know what? I had a little, uh, little uh, Triumph uh, car with the top down, <laughs> car, and uh, the, p- the police had set up a roadblock. And uh, they told me, one police officer knew me. She said, Eddie Rye, you don't live around here. <laughs> And we're not, you're not going to go over to the Fort Lawton. So anyway, but I was good friends with Bernie Whitebeard. Yes. I worked with him forever until his yes. demise. But uh, his legacy will live on. You know, he was one of, they call the Four Amigos. Yes. Bernie Whitebeard, Bob Santos, Roberto Masters, and Larry Gossett. 
And Larry's yeah. the only one left. So anyway, well, guys. Uh, and we have folks like the uh, Elmer and Aaron Dixon brothers who absolutely. got the Black Panthers rolling. And so As all those fact, things. Uh, Aaron, Elmer is writing a book. I'm supposed to send, put some words in it for him. Okay. So, all right. Well, hey, uh, thank you guys very much. And I look forward to seeing you guys in Seattle. We'll do something again before you get here to make sure yes. people know you're coming. Okay. Thank you, Eddie. All, all right. Thank now. you for the opportunity. Okay. Uh, thank you. Good, good work, uh, Jamie. Keep it up. We appreciate you. Thank okay. You. Uh, our next guest is uh, Anila Azili, my sister in the struggle. Uh, she's executive director of the Muslim American Muslim Empowerment Network. And Dr. Yaha Sufi, I hope I'm not mispronouncing his name, but he's an imam and also executive director of the Muslim American Youth Foundation. And that's why Anila has us on the air right now, because something tragic happened out there. So Anila, I'm a, since I know you the best, I'm going to start with you. You're my leader. And then we'll bring the Dr. Yaha, pronounce his name for me, please. Dr. Yahya. Say it again. Dr. Yahya or Dr. Sufi. Yahya. Okay, got it. Okay. I got any on. Okay. Go right ahead, Anila. Well, thank you so very much, Eddie, as always, for your show and for having us here. Uh, so, yes, unfortunately, there was a hit and run incident at MAFE, the Muslim American Youth Foundation Center. And Dr. Yahya can talk a little bit more about exactly what happened there. Uh, but it's following a string of attacks on Islamic centers and other places of worship. There have been about a dozen attacks on places of worship just in the past uh, year, unfortunately. And this incident was something that added to the, the arson at an Islamic Center of Tacoma, an explosive that, that was uh, lit outside of the Islamic Center of Olympia, a break-in and vandalism at a mosque in Montlake Terrace. So this is a horrible pattern that we want to, of course, condemn and make sure that all people of all faith backgrounds are welcomed and safe. And I'll pass it over to Dr. Yahya to tell us exactly what happened. Okay, Dr. Go right ahead. Please have you here, and thank you for the good work you're doing. Uh, hi, Eddie. Hi, everyone. My name is Yahya Sufi. I am the uh, Imam and the Executive Director of Muslim American Youth Foundation here in Burien, Washington. Uh, last week, unfortunately, we had a, um, um, a tragedy in our facility, a place where we all seek to find peace and tranquility. At around 9 a.m., it was 9 a.m., uh, March 7th, when uh, a hit-and-run attack took place at our center uh, in the morning. It was so, so scary. In that moment, it took me back 30 years ago when there was civil war back in my country in East Africa. It was, uh, you know, it, it was a horrible incident here when I heard a huge blast that reminded me that, you know, uh, incident that has backlash in my life back 30 years ago. So um, this uh, youth center, the only youth center in our locality, the largest youth facility for the Muslim community in uh, South King County. So on that day, um, when I experienced this, I came out of the building uh, knowing that there's something had uh, took place in our facility. Uh, and then I was only to find that the small space for a prayer for the sister's uh, prayer uh, room, that's where the car crashed into it. That car had no plates at all. There was no plate on that car. They hit and it smashed through the windows of the mosque, which is a concrete building, concrete building, just, you know, you know, aiming on that mirror area where the sisters, mothers, you know, our daughters pray, leaving, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, behind uh, shattered glass and also uh, the 
pumper and also the uh, hub cup behind. And there was nowhere to find that individual. And that incident caused so much fear into the community to the extent myself, I could not attend to, to, to the mosque or to the center in the morning where I usually come to prepare my to do my work until yesterday when we had a great turnout from the community, even having highly elected officials coming to show support from the people from other faiths, the people from different backgrounds come to show us that they care about us and that they stand in solidarity with us. So today, as you see me, I am connecting with you from my office and I was here in the morning because I feel safe and secure. Now, thank you so much, Eddie, for having us in your show. And thank you, Anila, as well. Yeah, and I want to say had I, I had to got I just moved my residence and had and put the program together. I would have been there too, but I was with you in spirit. So, uh, Anila, you know uh, we're seeing uh, these attacks uh, happening all across the country, and I'm really surprised with the incidents that are occurring right here. Can you just go down the list one more time for our listeners and let them know? what attacks have happened in what places of worship? Because, I mean, we have, we also had some, some attacks on Jewish synagogues as well. Yes, absolutely, Eddie. It's it's really a tragic and it's horrifying to see these kinds of attacks on places that should be sanctuaries, places of peace, unfortunately have faced these kinds of incidents. And I can give you a quick synopsis. Uh, just uh, recently, we had vandalism at the uh, Jewish Family Services. On November 23rd, 2021, there was the explosive at the Islamic Center of Olympia. October 24th, there was fire that was identified as arson at St. Charles Borromeo Catholic Parish in Tacoma. October 19th, there was a break-in and attack on religiously significant material at the mosque in Montlake Terrace. October 11th, there was a fire that was identified as arson at the Islamic Center of Tacoma. October 10th, there was vandalism at St. Edward Church in Seattle. September 21st, there was an aggravated assault on a Buddhist nun uh, at a Buddhist temple in Tacoma. September 17th, there was a break-in and attack on religiously significant material at the Khalsa Gurmat Center, our Sikh siblings in Federal West. On September 12th, there was an arson at Greater Christ Temple Church in Tacoma. In August, there was vandalism at St. Benedict Catholic Church in Seattle. On July 23rd, there was a suspicious fire that destroyed New Life Baptist Church in Tacoma. And on July 2nd, there was vandalism at St. James Cathedral in Seattle. That's just, again, not even a year's worth of incidents that we've seen. And I want to say that we don't know if hate or bias motivated all of these. There may be different rationales or reasons behind any of these incidents, including the, the one at the MAFE Center last week. But the bottom line is, no matter what the motive, these kinds of incidents on places of worship in particular should absolutely not be happening. And that's why we were so happy when we spoke with the governor. We had the uh, private meeting with the governor before the public event last night. And in the private meeting with the governor, he agreed uh, on some of our specific requests. And one of them was to look into creating some kind of task force or working group or committee to look into these attacks on various places of worship and figure out what more we can do to, again, ensure safety and security for all people of all backgrounds. Well, I tell you, Anila, I'm glad that you're on it. And you can see it's uh, being a Baptist. Uh, we would say in my church, the devil's been busy. Now, all those folks who want to uh, trash and uh, desecrate uh, the religious institutions, we need to send them to Ukraine along with, uh, with uh, the folks from January 6th. Uh, we need to, if they want to fight somebody, they need to sit, get on a boat right now and go over there and help the people in Ukraine if they want to fight that bad. But I want to ask uh, the Iman about uh, the kind of programs that they're doing 
uh, in the youth center and the other work that he's doing in the community. Oh, Eddie, yes. Uh, in this facility that you see, um, mainly it serves the uh, uh, underserved community, the youth from the uh, majority of the background from Somalia and East Africa. It's open to all Muslims and non-Muslims as well. We serve even this youth include uh, youth that are friends with our youth. So uh, it's actually a, a center for all young people. And, and our mission is just to educate, enrich, and enlighten the youth. In this facility that you see, we have so many programs that we feel will uplift our young uh, uh, members of the community. Uh, as you know, there are uh, the education uh, it's a way to fertify our youth. So we make sure, make sure that we educate them in our community, we empower our youth, and also we um, Provide, provide for them resources that I myself was not able to find when I came to America as an immigrant 25 years ago. I was, I could only find few from my community uh, that I could even walk to them from, from, uh, from Highland area to, to Quilla area, about eight miles. I will work on a daily basis to find few from my community. So we make sure that we give them an opportunity. We help them to stay away from violence because there's so many gun violence in our community here in the South, especially from East African community that involves some gun violence. There's there's a death from gun violence. There's a, also, you know, uh, what you call overdoses that they die from a lot of them. We have large families in this community. So what we do is just to make sure that we balance for them because this world is all about two-way street. If you can give them a facility like the one we have right now, you're able to actually you know, guide them. So basically, we have um, a lot of programs here that include uh, uh, um, youth mentorship. We have youth counseling, uh, after-school programs. Uh, we also have like weekend programs. Uh, we do sport tournaments, and and this is like we're well known to to uh, you know basketball tournaments that we have. In the past, we were able to convince you know Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, who was an uh, NBA player in the in the past. Uh, uh, and then we also had Ennis Country, who's a current NBA player. They came to hold a weekend basketball tournament for us here for, for Muslim American Youth Foundation. That, that was before we even found this facility that you see. Today, we envision to have many NBA players to come by so that we can empower our children. We do have also, you know, camping uh, for our children. And, and all of this that you see is just to make sure we properly channel their energy. They, you know, young people have so much energy that if you find a way to, you know, to properly channel them, you can win their hearts. So we are here to balance between, you know, like education and activities. So this is what we do for our community. It's fairly new. We're not even here a year in this facility. We didn't even have our grand opening yet. We had a soft opening for the community. There's more, more, more to come, but this is what we, what we have done in the past. And we're willing to accept accept any youth, any young people who is able to come and make it to activities. Well, Iman, that's a fantastic. I want to give uh, Anita the last minute uh, to let her wrap it up. And uh, man, I really appreciate your work, Iman. I really do. And uh, so uh, in the future, if you got stuff you need uh, to get things out on the air, uh, and this time it's negative, but next time it might be real, really positive. So we want to hear from you in that your community. Anila? Thank you.
Thank you, Eddie. I'll just add on top of what uh, the Imam was saying that specifically, this is the kind of youth facility. It used to be an athletic club, Highline Athletic Club. It's a great facility. There's so many youth there. And that's really what's tragic about this specific incident. But again, what was beautiful was seeing the strong community showing last night from elected leaders, from people of different faith communities, uh, activists, community groups, all kinds of people showing up together. And that's what we got to keep doing. Because as you said, you know, we're always going to have those haters. There's always going to be those people who may seek to destroy, but we really want to build. And exactly as sort of our Islamic faith teaches and our human values teach us, we're really here to spread a message of love and peace and unity. And we will continue, no matter how many times these incidents happen, we will continue making sure that they are each one of those incidents that may seem negative are going to be used as an opportunity to grow relationships, build stronger and better and with each other, and continue to further our efforts to really uh, sort of uh, pr promote a different narrative one of love and unity and solidarity and strength and resilience. They're not going to get rid of our faith. They're not going to get rid of our uh, sort of solidarity or unity or anything else. So we really look forward to having more people learn about MAFE. And I'm actually hoping you can share the website for MAFE. We'll send that to you, Eddie. Uh, and we're just yeah, grateful for the everybody who showed up last night and everybody who will continue to support each other because it's really up to us to love and protect each other. Okay, I want to thank Anila Avzili, who is Executive Director of American Muslim Empowerment Network, and Dr. Yaha Sufi, Iman, Executive Director of the Muslim American Youth Foundation, whose building was targeted by a hate crime. So thank you all very much for the day. Keep up the good work. Anila, I'm proud of you. Keep up the good work. Iman, keep up the good work. Uh, we're going to take a break so and much, come brother. back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that sound transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk 1150. It's good for what ails you. This statement has not been evaluated by the FDA. My next guest is Bob Armstead, uh, who was one of the original founders of the, uh, 
National Association of Minority Contractors, Washington State Chapter. And I was also with the Washington State Civil Rights Coalition. And the coalition had filed a discrimination complaint with the United States Department of Justice and with the United States Department of Transportation for discrimination against African-Americans in Washington State. So uh, Bob Armstead, uh, is there any new information to report on, on that matter? Uh, there's a little bit, Eddie. I, I would also like to add to your comment that it's the Washington State Civil Rights Coalition and 20 other uh, organizations and individuals in Washington State uh, representing uh, the clergy, uh, business associations, uh, and other community-based organizations that have been impacted by discrimination and disparate impacts uh, in Washington state. And as you know, and probably most of your listeners know, we did file a civil rights complaint with the US Department of Justice back in November. And we have, uh, we got acknowledgement of receipt of that, uh, filing, uh, you were able to um, provide us with uh, acknowledgement of uh, receipt of that through some of the uh, information that you received uh, from um, uh, other organizations in the community relative to some of the actions that have taken place since we filed that complaint. Uh, most recently, we received a uh, notice from the uh, US Department of Justice advising us that they thought that it did not appear uh, that they were the proper organization to respond to our complaint. And they in turn referred our complaint to the uh, US Department of Transportation. And we have assumed uh, one, they did that because most of the examples of discrimination and disparate impacts included uh, in our report were examples of things that had happened uh, here in Washington State uh, through USDOT, uh, WASDOT, and agencies and other organizations funded by uh, DOT. We responded back to the Department of Justice by telling them that we thought that they are the organization uh, required by legislation uh, to respond and be the lead responder in civil rights complaint uh, matters, but that we agreed with them that uh, USDOT should participate in the investigation and uh, whatever remedies are brought forward because they had the most examples of discrimination and disparate impacts in that report. Uh, in our response to USDOT, uh, we referred to the referral from the Department of Justice and requested that they again, and we cited the fact that we have uh, five or more letters into Secretary Buttigieg uh, concerning the situation here in Washington State 
and our anticipation at this time because the referral is now coming from the department of justice that they will um, act on it to encourage them to act uh, in our response we cc'd and provide copies of our information uh, to uh, two additional congressionals well Adam Smith has always been a supporter of us on this. Adam Smith submitted a letter to the Department of Justice. Which is on uh, my Facebook page. Great. If somebody great. want to see it, it's on my Facebook page. Adam Smith requested, based on his staff's recommendation, who, who uh, reviewed all the materials that were included in that complaint that Bob Armstead put together, including nine disparity studies, a private study, all saying that African descendants, United States enslaved, the black folks who's been here 400 years, are being discriminated against in, by every agency, uh, regardless of who it is. Our numbers are just not there because uh, for 23 years, we've not had any, any uh, affirmative action. And now we still have people at department heads with the state talking about, uh, well, we like using, uh, uh, we don't like using race specific, having race specific goals. We don't have race specific goals, black folks get left out. So go right ahead, Bob, I had to, to make that statement. Uh, and, and it's a very good and timely statement, Eddie, uh, because in those nine uh, disparity studies that you referenced, uh, one of the remedies is to have uh, specific uh, goals and requirements on contracts when race neutral, which is what the state has used for the last 23 years, uh, processes do not work. But uh, additionally, this time, uh, in addition to, uh, to Adam Smith, we included uh, Jimmy Gomez of, of California and Pete Aguilar, uh, also of California on this request because they have introduced uh, legislation in the U.S. House of Representatives to uh, provide additional funding to the Disadvantaged Business Enterprise DBE program that the Department of Transportation administers. And in addition to that, uh, Senators uh, Bob Menendez and Alex Padilla have also introduced legislation in the Senate to require uh, certain actions be taken to ensure the inclusion of minorities and women in the infrastructure bill monies that are now flowing to all of the states, including Washington state. So we have uh, a number of people that are pursuing this from their perspective. Uh, they're we are Washington state specific and African-American uh, black citizens of Washington state specific, but the goals are the same. Uh, that we also included uh, Senator uh, Maria Cantwell uh, as the CC on this letter because she is the chairman of the uh, transportation uh, committee it's the Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee uh, in the Senate. And we included 
uh, Peter DeFazio from Oregon, who is the chairman of the uh, House Transportation Committee. Uh, we've included them because they have the power to request and require that Pete Buttigieg uh, not only respond to our request, but enforce rules, laws, and regulations that are on the book and be prepared to enforce the laws, rules, and regulation that will come about when the legislation that's being proposed in the House and Senate now are passed. Bob, I tell you what, this is so important. I want to take this minute to read who the persons and organizations were who signed on this complaint. Reverend Dr. Kerry Anderson, Pastor First CME, Bob Armstead, Civil Rights Coalition, Bishop Zachary Bruce, Pastor Freedom Church, Claude Burphy, First Vice President of King County NAACP, uh, Dominique Davis, Executive Director of Community Passageways, Bill Dickens, Tacoma Pierce County Black Collective Economic Development Committee, Ernie Dunstan, President Emeritus, Seattle uh, Breakfast Group, Hayward Evans, who's on, on, call, on hold right now, co-convener of the MLK Jr. Commemoration Committee, Reverend Dr. Robert Jeffrey, pastor of New Hope Missionary Baptist Church and founder of the Black Dollar Days Task Force, Jonathan Johnson, president of Tacoma, Washington, NAACP, Richard Johnson, Kent Black Action Commission, Roberto Jordan, uh, the media past president of Black Firefighters and Sheriff Festival, Sundiata, Raymond Miller, chair of the NAACP Armed Services and Veterans Committee for Washington, Oregon, and Alaska, Shade Moore, chair of the Seattle King County Martin Luther King Organizing Coalition, Lyle Kwasim, Chair of Tacoma Pierce County Black Elective. Myself, Robert Stevens, Commander of the Seattle Chapter National Association of Black Veterans. Reverend Dr. Paul Stute, Senior Pastor of Trinity Baptist Church in Everett. Pastor Lawrence Willis, President of the United Black Christian Clergy. Reverend Dr. Harriet Walden, Founder of Mothers for Police uh, Accountability. Bishop Reggie Witherspoon, Bishop of Church of God in Christ of Seattle and Tacoma. That is who signed on the dotted line and I see that we've also been joined by Hayward Evans and Senator uh, Twina Nobles. And uh, she's, a, she's a little early, but I'm so glad you were on so you could hear that, uh, Senator Nobles. So uh, I just wanted to, to let you know that Hayward has a quick announcement. We're going to go right to you. Eric, we're going to hold a break until the end. We have Senator Nobles. We can't take a break while we have Senator Nobles. We've been trying to get her, but she's been in session. So Hayward, you want to do your comment, your comment right now? Yeah, thank you for having me, Eddie, and, and great job, Bob. I got to just salute you on that one. Uh, look, at the uh, 54th anniversary of the assassination of Reverend Dr. King is coming up April 4th. Everybody remembers what happened in, in, uh, in, in Tennessee 54 years ago. This year, as we do annually, we're going to be honoring five people in our local community who've contributed significantly to the civil rights movement. And just remember those folks who have passed away. It's our day of remembrance. A lot of people passed away in uh, 2021, Representative Vivian Caver, you know, Dr. Thaddeus Spratlin, Dr. Um, uh, uh, what's her name with you, uh, Millie Russell, but just a lot of people. We want to acknowledge them and to acknowledge those folks who helped in the movement. April 4th, uh, Holgate Street Baptist Church, Minister uh, Jimmy Hurd is, is the pastor there. Great person. And it's going to Holgate be Church of Christ. Holgate Church of Christ. And and thank you. So that, that's on uh, April 4th, beginning at 5.30 with a reception, and the program starts at 6. Uh, yes, there, there will be a great uh, a diversity of foods, different ethnic dishes uh, that we'll okay. be serving up. 
And left change to just name the recipients. No, why don't we save okay. that for uh, we're going to be on the next two, two Saturdays. So why don't we save that? We got I want to get to Senator Nobles right quick because she's been doing some fantastic things in, in Olympia, taking care of her district. So uh, I want to go to her. So just hang on for a minute, Hayward. So put, put the hand. Well, we can do that at the end of the program. Okay. Just hang you. on. So Senator Nobles. How's it going, Mr. Rye? Okay, I'm glad you were on the air. So you got to hear a report from, from uh, Bob Armstead, our commander, and you got a chance to hear from him. So I'm really happy that you came on early so you could hear that because you recognize a lot of those names from the Tacoma Pierce County area who signed on. Sorry, there is a vacuum going behind me. Okay, Mr. Rye, will you repeat what you just said? No, I was just saying, I was glad that you were on uh, to hear uh, the report from Bob Armstead. And that I know you're familiar with Jonathan Johnson and Bill Dickens and Lyle Quasim. <laughs> so we had, we had it's a, you know, a massive effort to have as many affected parties who represent people in our community mm -hmm. to sign on to that. But we want to shift gears. I wanted you to hear that, but I want to hear, and the listeners want to hear about uh, what happened this past session. And I know that a lot of people in your district are real happy and in the Tacoma Pierce County uh, area are happy with what you were able to deliver to them. So, uh, <laughs> Why don't you share that with us? Thank you. Thanks for having me here. It's really good to see you. I think the audience only gets the audio, but it's great to see you um, on camera. And thanks for inviting me to be here today. It, it, this has been a, an incredible session. I mean, I have completed my first biennium as a state senator. Um, soon I won't be able to call myself a rookie. However, um, I tell folks I've been kind of a pandemic senator because both of my sessions have been remote. So I've never um, done the work of the legislature from my office in Olympia. So I look forward to maybe next year in 2023 working actually in Olympia. Um, but it's been really great to represent my community here in the 28th legislative district. And for those who don't know me, again, I'm Senator Tawana Nobles. My district here in the 28th includes Burcrest, where I live, University Place, Stillicum, DuPont, Lakewood, Joint Base Lewis-McChord. Um, it included a little bit of Tacoma, but redistricting kind of snatched out that part of Tacoma. Um, and then I have three islands, McNeil Island, Ketron Island, and Anderson Island in my district. Um, so I definitely have tried to work really hard on not just bills over the past two years, but um, sponsoring operating and capital requests that will benefit my district, as well as um, making sure that I'm a, a voice for my district on the transportation committee. And so I'll go through some of the work that we've been able to lead, but um, I could have never honestly imagined um, the level of talent of my colleagues, um, other senators who serve in our legislature, um, there is so much brilliance and heart for community. And we say, and as, as Senate Democrats, you know, we are putting people first. And it's been really great to see my colleagues really work hard to do that. Um, so right now, I have some bills on the governor's desk. I have my Diaper Need Act that I worked with in partnership with community to create a $100 diaper subsidy. So families who are receiving TANF will receive an additional $100 if they have children under the age of three, um, because we know children that age are still in diapers, but they'll receive an extra $100 to be able to better afford um, diapers, but they can use the funds to um, purchase any other 
um, basic or essential needs that they have for their young children. I also have on the governor's desk right now, um, Senate Bill 5874, which will increase college affordability for military um, service members and veterans because it will allow um, access to higher learning for members and um, dependents stationed in Washington state and allow them to establish residency a lot quicker so they can benefit from that in-state tuition, but also a variety of other products that are available just for veterans and dependents and service members. And then I heard you had Rep Harris Talley on your show and um, she and I worked collaboratively in the legislature on House Bill 1881, which is the doulas for all bill. And this allows for a voluntary certification process for birth doulas, which I, I just love doulas. I love anyone that is supporting our birthing community members. And it costs a lot of money to have a doula. And it really is important that doulas who are helping community members who don't have a lot of money and may be receiving Medicaid, um, that they can also provide doula services to our Medicaid eligible families. And so that bill has been delivered to the governor. I'm so excited to have been the um, Senate, Senate champion for that bill. And um, the last bill that I want to talk about is a, a bill that is um, our campaign funds for child care bill. And this would allow candidates who are running for office and raising money to use those funds to pay for child care or dependent care expenses. Because running for office, and I know this because I ran for office now three times, and um, you know, if you have a family and you have child care expenses, running for office just adds to those expenses. So it's really um, cool to know that as you're raising money and campaign funds can be used to pay for food or printing or office space, but another expense that sometimes candidates who have small children will incur is increased access for babysitters or longer hours in a child care facility. And so now we have passed a law in Washington state to allow for those campaign funds to be used for child independent care services. And so um, I, we're just waiting for the governor to sign off on all those bills. And I definitely would call it a successful session. Um, but we don't just pass bills in the legislature. We also work really hard to get money to our district. And so I championed several operating budget requests. $800,000 for the Commission on African-American Affairs will be used for reporting data on a condition of Black Washington residents. And it will also create a dashboard displaying the data and providing recommendations. Um, $7 million for Working Families Tax Credit Outreach. It was great that we have the Working Families Tax Credit, but not if folks don't have the information, not if all the pieces aren't put together. And many of us have complained about legislation being passed, but the community does not understand how it impacts them. Community doesn't understand if it's beneficial um, or if it will cost them more. And so we wanna make sure for this wonderful Working Families Tax Credit that there's appropriate outreach associated with the credit. And then also $160,000 for the Emerging Leaders Program, which will expand equity in the outdoors. It's a program that um, helps to en engage more communities of color in the outdoor experiences and in leadership positions across the state. And I'm gonna pause. Mr. Rye, do you have any questions? Uh, there's so much that I would love to share, but I'll pause in case there is. No, no go, right, go right ahead, because I'm gonna have Hayward Evans that you mentioned uh, about the work you were doing with uh, Representative Kristen uh, Harris Talley mm -hmm. and uh, Hayward was going to let you know that what she's receiving on April fourth. But we'll go ahead. I want you to go ahead, and I want to see Hayward. Do you have a question or comment for Senator Nobles? 
First of all, congratulations, Senator Noble. You've done an absolutely fantastic job. Thank you. Uh, I, I know that we're reactivating the um, Minority Contractors Association and particularly with an emphasis on the descendants of the United States enslaved. What can we do next session to make sure we're getting our fair share of the pie? Because again, you know, most of our businesses were annihilated during this I-1000. Now we have to rebuild capacity. What can we do next year to work with you to get that done? Yeah, great question. And thankfully we have a, a bit of a plan. So as a newer Senator, and, and honestly, I think even as even with experience, there are going to be new issues and new topics. And so you just have to stay learning. And I think as a new senator, there's so much that I have to learn. But this issue of um, contracting and how it impacts um, contractors of color is one that I'm starting to learn more about as it relates to pieces of legislation and legislation that sounds really good because it's like pro um, labor and it's beneficial for lots of community, but I'm learning that in the language and, and actually in, in the actual legislation and what it looks like on the ground, it will hurt communities of color. And so what we decided this year as an action plan is instead of being reactive where I'm you know about to vote and then I get some calls. Thankfully we, this year, so I spoke with Mr. Henry Yates and I spoke with Mr. La Quasim and they have spoken with Ms. Paula Sardinas on ways that the black community can work with Paula and get more information in the legislature, but so that there is just, more organization around black issues and advocacy in the legislature. So I know that those entities plan to work more with Paula so that early on as bills are being dropped, mm -hmm. there is organization around tracking bills and communicating even to the legislative black caucus bills that we need to pay attention to because there, there are just so many bills and it's hard to know exactly how bills will impact community if they're not your own bill. So that so so my recommend the the answer to your question is to work in partnership with Mr. Yates, with Mr. Quasim, with Paula, and with anyone else who's tracking bills to make sure that we as legislators know what bills will, will benefit or could cause potential harm to communities of color around contracting. Well, uh, Hayward, we got one minute. I'd like to have you just rattle off who the awardees are gonna be on April 4th. Okay. Uh, Senators mentioned one already. Uh, if, if I may, Thelma DeWitty, it's the Education Advocate Award, Thelma was the first African-American to work in the Seattle Public Schools. Uh, the award's named after her. It goes to Seattle School Superintendent, Brett Jones, Eddie, who you pushed to help get in there. Anyway, another story. And then the A. Philip Randolph Uniting Workers Award, and that's Larry Brown, President AFL-CIO for the State of Washington, Washington State Labor Council. The Edwin T. Pratt, and everybody should look up Pratt. He's the one who was assassinated, never found his killer when he was the executive director of the Seattle Urban League. But that's the Community Leadership Award, goes to the Central District Community Preservation Development Authority, Board of Directors. All of them get a part in it. And that's Dr. Lewis Rayburn is the chair slash president. The, um, uh, the Public Servant Award is Senator State Senator John Henry Ryan Public Servant Award. He was the first African-American state senator wrote some great legislation, can't get into it right now. But anyway, that's that's Christian Halley. That's your lady. Callie's okay. getting that one. Good. And then the last and not final award goes to George Washington Bush, founder of the state of Washington, African-American. It's a living legacy award. And that's Chris H. Bennett. Not B. Bennett, H. Bennett, his dad. Okay. Uh, thanks, Hayward. We're out of time. Senator Nobles, thank you so much for being here today. And Hayward, thank you always for being there, brother. 
So uh, we'll be uh, talking with you real soon and really proud of the job you're doing down and representing the people. So thank you very much. Thank you for having okay, me. Okay, Eric, we'll take that last break and come back for the close. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Make it a great day. Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, Eddie Ryback, want to thank you for joining us today. want to thank uh, Liz Alzer, City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office. Uh, I want to thank uh, Mian Rice, uh, Manager and Director of the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, along with Lawrence Coleman and Ms. Reagan. And also, I want to thank Sound Transit, Office of Civil Rights, John Tay Robinson, and I also want to thank the people in account payable, like Ms. Rosalind Wilson and, and Nikki Croxon. I guess she's off for a while. Nikki, get well and come on back. And Hayward, thank you always for being here, brother. I want to thank uh, Bob uh, Armstead. And hopefully uh, you guys heard who is behind this complaint. It's very important to think. And some people think, you know, some Lone Rangers file a complaint. That is 21 names of individuals who are known not only in the city and the state, uh, they are known throughout the country for their contributions. And hopefully it's enough to have uh, uh, the DOJ look at, because I'm really concerned with the direction Merrick Garland's going in, handcuffing Kristen Clark, the Deputy Director for Civil Rights at DOJ. Merrick Garland let her go and do her job. So thank you very much, Eric. We'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.